in a way, our second session tonight is like a part two to the presentation that we gave just earlier. And so we're going to talk about modern myths today. I guess we're talking about something that is believed to be true and it's been believed to be true for such a long time that it's almost assumed to be true. But we want to actually find out, is it really true? And we want to know tonight, linked with our discussion on the biblical Sabbath of just uh, a few moments ago in our earlier presentation, we want to ask the question, what about Sabbath worship? What, sorry, what about Sunday worship, I should say? What about Sunday worship? Where does that fit in to the Christian picture? Because millions of Christians throughout the globe uh, on a Sunday as the day of worship for Christians. And I'm sure, I know myself, as a secular person, if you'd have asked me or any number of other secular people, you know, imagine you were doing a, a quiz like... Uh, you know, what's it called, the chaser? They have all these questions. And, uh, you know, if somebody had asked the question, which day is the Christian day of worship? Almost all people are going to answer the question with, well, Sunday, obviously. And we want to know how does that fit in. We discussed before that Sabbath was uh, the seventh day of the week, a memorial to creation in the Bible. We talked about the manna in the wilderness as an example of how God distinguished between the Sabbath and the other days. Of course, it's one of the Ten Commandments. And, uh, you know, sometimes people will say, well, does that one really matter? I guess, you know, if I asked you uh, that question about one of the other commandments and say, well, does that one really matter? then probably would say, yes, it does matter. Does it matter if we steal, kill, lie, commit adultery? Yes, it does matter. So far as God's concerned, yes, the Sabbath matters. We talked about the New Testament and the fact that the biblical Sabbath is kept by Jesus and the apostles in the New Testament as well. So where does Sunday worship come from? In the Bible, Sunday, the day we commonly call Sunday, is referred to as the first day of the week. In the Bible, the the, the Bible days, they don't actually get given names. Well, maybe two of them do. Obviously, there's the seventh-day Sabbath. We've talked about that. It's called Sabbath. The day before in the New Testament is called the preparation day. But the others are basically just numbered. You know, as we mentioned from creation week. And the evening and the morning were the first day. The evening and the morning were the second day and so forth. The, The names that we now give to the days of the week have come from all sorts of different places. But, so the word Sunday is not mentioned in the Bible. The word Saturday isn't mentioned in the Bible, all right? But we understand which days they are from the context in the Bible. So Sunday, we recognise, is the day on which Jesus rose from the dead. Okay, the Bible says very clearly, early in the morning, on the first day of the week, we find that Jesus rose from the dead. And there are... Uh, In fact, there are nine references to the first day of the week in the whole Bible. Nine references. The first one is in the first chapter, the evening and the morning were the first day. That's That's the first and only reference in the Old Testament to the first day of the week. You come to the New Testament, there are eight more. Eight references to the first day of the week and we want to have a look at them. Because some will say, yes, but hasn't the Sabbath now been changed? Hasn't the Sabbath actually been changed in the New Testament now? And because of Jesus, 
rising on the first day of the week, we now worship on Sunday. Well, let's have a look at what the Bible has to say. First day of the week, you've got six texts here that refer to the first day of the week as the day on which Jesus rose from the dead. We're not going to read all of those because they pretty much all say the same thing. Early in the morning on the first day of the week, people came to the tomb, they found that Jesus had risen from the grave. Okay, So here are six of those eight references in the New Testament. They deal with the resurrection. So we're going to have a look at the other two. Here's another reference to the first day of the week in the New Testament. It says, Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Okay, so here people say, Aha, here are the Christians. They're meeting together on the first day of the week. They are breaking bread together. Must be communion. Right, And Paul, who's a prominent speaker, he is ready to part the next day, but he's speaking to them and he continues his message until midnight. So you have, they're gathering together, first day of the week, they're breaking bread, Paul is preaching. It's got to be the new Sabbath day, right? Well, the challenge perhaps for this is that, first of all, the word Sabbath doesn't appear in this passage You would think that if God was going to override one of his Ten Commandments, that you'd actually see the word in the passage and say, we have now changed the Sabbath day. What this is recording is what they did on the first day of the week. By the way, it says that Paul continued his message till midnight. And we noted that the change of the days takes place at what point in the day? Sunset. So he continues his... um, message till midnight, we don't know when he started his message, but he's obviously preaching well into the night. And what about the breaking of the bread and what about the preaching? Well, in Acts chapter 2 verse 46, notice what it says here about the disciples. So continually daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity. Here it tells us that they broke bread daily. So if they're breaking bread daily, that can't mean that every day they break bread on becomes a new Sabbath day, right? Here's another point in Acts chapter 5 verse 42. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. So here again, they're preaching and they're teaching on a daily basis that Jesus is the Christ. So that must mean that this can't mean that whenever they're teaching or preaching, that has to be a new Sabbath day. I mean, there's nowhere in the Bible that says when you see preaching and teaching, that must be a new Sabbath day. That wouldn't make sense. There's no, there's no reference in the New Testament to a change of the Sabbath. It's just not there. I'd like to help you out, but it's just not there. Here's another one. So here's that was number... There were six referring to the day on which Jesus raised from the dead. That's Sunday morning. Then that one was the seventh one in the book of Acts. Here's the eighth one. Here's the other one that talks about the first day of the week. And it's in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 to 2. Notice what it says. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. 
On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whoever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. Here, Paul is making a collection from the churches that he visits because there's a famine in Jerusalem and he's taking gifts from the various churches to Jerusalem to relieve their suffering. And he's saying to the churches, lay something aside on the first day of the week. When I come by, I'll collect that and take it to Jerusalem. Again, this is something that happened on the first day of the week, but it doesn't mention the Sabbath day, it doesn't mention there's a new worship day, it doesn't say that there's a change of the worship day. It's simply recording what happened on that day of the week. You know, Jesus did many wonderful things, and God has done many wonderful things on lots of days of the week, right? I mean, if you look at creation week, you'd have to say God did something marvellous on every single day of the week. Jesus, for instance, he gathered together with his disciples and we call that the Last Supper and he instituted the communion service. Do you know what day of the week that was? It was Thursday night, right? It was Thursday night. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper or the communion, the bread and the wine, on Thursday night. Should we say, well, Thursday night must be the new Sabbath day? No, the Bible doesn't say that and we can't jump to that conclusion just because Jesus did something special on a Thursday night. What day did Jesus die on the cross? We've learned that that was Friday. We sometimes call it Good Friday. Jesus died on the cross on Friday. Does that make Friday the new Sabbath day? No. So we can't just say that just because Jesus did something special or God did something special on a specific day of the week, that suddenly becomes the new Sabbath day. And the reason we know that that's not the case is because God already made a Sabbath day. He already has created a day of the week that he has blessed, sanctified, set apart and commanded us to keep. There was no need to change that Sabbath day. And that's why we find no change of the Sabbath. So here's, here's one passage in the scriptures that we're going to read next that doesn't talk about the first day of the week, but it does mention the word Sabbath and we're going to read it because we want to know what it says. Colossians 2, 16 and 17. Some point to this verse and say, aha, this verse tells us not to keep the Sabbath. Let's read it. It says, Paul is writing, he's writing to the church at Colossae. He says, so let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance is of Christ. And people say, there you are, there's Paul's instruction. Let no one judge you regarding the Sabbaths. Here's a question though. First of all, Paul doesn't say don't keep the Sabbaths. He just says don't let anybody judge you in regard to Sabbaths. Secondarily, is he talking here about the Sabbath of the Ten Commandments? Let's have a think about that. He says here, let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. There's five things here that Paul is warning the people at Colossae, don't let people judge you on these things. One of the things we need to understand in the New Testament that often we don't realise because we don't live in that world, but Paul was a Jew. Jesus was a Jew. All the first disciples were Jews. 
When they baptised 3,000 people on the day of Pentecost, what do you think they were? They were Jews. It was the day of Pentecost. It was a Jewish feast. A couple of chapters later, they baptised another 5,000. They were Jews. The early Christians were Jews. They had converted from Judaism. They recognised Jesus as the Messiah. They became Christians. What Paul is dealing with in a lot of his letters in the New Testament is you have Jews in the Christian church, you have Gentiles coming into the Christian church. The question for them was, how Jewish do you have to be to be a Christian? That's a question that Paul is dealing with. And he's talking largely about the ceremonial law here. By the way, when he says, let no one judge you in food, drink, festivals, new moon and Sabbaths. Five things there. How much regarding food is in the, new, in the uh, Ten Commandments? Where in the Ten Commandments does the Ten Commandments mention food? It doesn't mention food, does it? Does the Ten Commandments mention drink? Does the Ten Commandments mention the festivals? No. Does the Ten Commandments mention the new moon? No. Then possibly this Sabbath reference here is not talking about the Sabbath of the Ten Commandments. The reason I say that is in the Jewish religion, you had a number of annual holidays, a bit like we have Christmas and Easter, right? Or Queen's birthday holiday, or whatever you want, Anzac Day, whatever you want to call it. We have some national holidays. But Anzac Day doesn't fall on the same day of the week every year, does it? Just like your birthday doesn't fall on the same day of the week every year. They had these annual rest days, annual holidays, annual Sabbaths, like Passover, like Pentecost, Feast of Tabernacles and, and several others that would come around every year and these were things that pointed to the ministry of Jesus. Not related to the seventh day Sabbath. Let me show you why. This is Colossians 2. This is in the New Testament of course. If you go back to Ezekiel chapter 45 and verse 17 you have the same things mentioned here. They're in the same order. But clearly they're to do with the ceremonial law. Notice. Then it shall be the prince's part to give burnt offerings, grain offerings, that's the food, drink offerings, feasts, new moons and Sabbaths and at all the appointed seasons of the house of Israel. In other words, he mentions the same five things in the same order and he's talking about the ceremonial law related to the temple in the time of Ezekiel. If we go back to this one in Colossians again, it says, Let no one judge you in regard to food or drink or regarding a festival, new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of the things to come, but the substances of Christ. So he's saying these things were a shadow of the things to come, but the substances of Christ. What does he mean by that shadow? Well, in Hebrews 10, 1 to 4, it tells us. It says, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. In other words, it's clear here that the shadow he's referring to is the sacrificial law. All right? So that kind of deals with Colossians in a way. And nowhere in any of these verses does it say, God has changed the Sabbath God has have a new Sabbath day. It's just not there. Again, mention this verse in 1 Corinthians 7.19. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandments of God is what matters. 
Paul makes a distinction there between the sacrificial law and the moral law of the Ten Commandments. We also mentioned this, Acts 18.4, a brief reference to Paul. He says, he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. Clearly, the disciples were keeping the Sabbath still throughout the New Testament. No dispute there. So where did Sunday worship come from? I'm going to tell you where Sunday worship came from now, but not in my words. I'm going to use uh, a reference here from a church authority. This is from a book called The Faith of Our Fathers uh, um, by Cardinal James Gibbons. This is a Roman Catholic cardinal, and he says this. He says, you may read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, from beginning to end, and you will not find a single line authorising the sanctification of Sunday. The scriptures enforce the religious observance of Saturday. Now, I didn't put those words into his mouth. That is a Roman Catholic document written by a Roman Catholic who says this is what you will find. You can read the Bible from end to end. You just won't find a reference to the authorisation of Sunday in the Bible. That's a Roman Catholic scholar. This is a Methodist minister, okay? So Methodist um, minister Clovis Chapel in his book Ten Rules for Living about the Ten Commandments. He says the reason we observe the first day instead of the seventh is based on no positive command. One will search the scriptures in vain for authority for changing the seventh day to the first. So here he's plainly saying that you can search the scriptures all you want. In fact, somebody once said, I'll offer you $5,000 if you can find a verse in the Bible that tells me I'm bound to keep Sunday holy. I think the $5,000 is still on offer. Not from me, but... <laughs> but the point is, it's just not there. It's, it's not me saying that it's not there. Our Roman Catholic friends say it's not there. Our Methodist friends say it's not there. There's just no biblical record of the change from the seventh day to the first day. So how on earth did the change come about? How did we get to this place? Well, in a book called From Sabbath to Sunday by Carlisle B. Haynes, he is quoting now Socrates Scholasticus, who was a 5th century historian, right? So he's, he's quoting this 5th century historian who says, Almost all churches throughout the world celebrate the sacred mysteries. That is his reference to the Lord's Supper, communion. Almost all the churches through the world celebrate the sacred mysteries of the Lord's Supper on the Sabbath of every week. This is 5th century, remember. Yet, the Christians of Alexandria and at Rome, on account of some tradition, have ceased to do this. So he's recognising here in the 5th century that almost all the churches are celebrating the Lord's Supper on the Sabbath. However, some churches in Alexandria and Rome have ceased to do this on account of a tradition that they have established. Okay? How did this begin? Well, as you know, as you read some of the New Testament, you'll notice that the, the Romans were ruling, obviously, Palestine, and the Jews came under certain persecutions, and particularly when they would rise up against the Romans. So, for instance, in AD 70, we remember we were talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. 
And that came in response to an uprising from the Jews against the Romans. And uh, in a book called Divine Rest for Human Restlessness, Dr. Sam Bakiochi writes this. He says, Beginning with the first Jewish revolt against Rome, 66 to 70 AD, various repressive measures, military, political, and fiscal, were imposed by the Romans upon the Jews. So because of this uprising against Roman rule, the Romans really clamped down on the Jews and they began to impose certain restrictive measures upon the Jewish people. They were coming under severe persecution with the Jews. Then you come to the time of a man called Simon Bar Kokhba and there was a Bar Kokhba rebellion, a Jewish rebellion, a Jewish revolt led by Bar Kokhba in 132 to 135 AD and this became really the final revolt of the Jews against the Romans. After this time, the Romans put down that uh, rebellion and the Jews were scattered across the world after this time. And this was around the time of Emperor Hadrian. Ever heard of Hadrian's Wall? I've got to tell you this. Where are we holding our meeting tonight? Wall's End. Any ideas why it's called, called Wall's End? Let me tell you. I tell this story everywhere I go. I was in uh, England a couple of years ago. We went to visit Hadrian's Wall. And Hadrian's Wall is a wall that Emperor Hadrian commissioned to be built across northern England. And uh, it was sort of to be the border between Scotland and England at that time. And this is a part of Hadrian's Wall. It sort of goes from Cumbria on the west all the way across to Newcastle on the east. And where the wall ends, there's a suburb there called... Wall's End, and it's right next to Newcastle. You ever heard of a city called Newcastle? And we have a suburb right next to Newcastle called Wall's End, simply because Britain has a suburb right next to Newcastle called Wall's End, and it's where the wall ends. So that's, where, that's why it's called Wall's End, if you didn't know. You learn some stuff here, right? You're learning some new stuff. <laughs> So Hadrian's Wall was built around this time. And uh, Dr. Bakayoki, he said, Hadrian at this time, so this is around 135 AD, about 135 AD, Hadrian at this time prohibited the practice of the Jewish religion throughout the empire. You can imagine the impact of that. And he says, condemning especially... Sabbath observance. So here you have around 135 AD the putting down of the Bar Kokhba rebellion and Hadrian now says the Jewish religion is prohibited and especially Sabbath keeping. And because of that Christians who also were receiving persecution, they were regarded as a sect of the Jews, but Christians now are looking for opportunities to distinguish themselves from the Jews. In addition to that, the church is growing. In spite of the persecution of the Christian church, the Christian church is growing like wildfire and many pagans are giving away their paganism and they're coming into the Christian church. But many of these pagans are accustomed to worshipping the sun god on the Sunday. And it becomes fashionable to begin to meet on the Sunday. Let's 
have a look at another quote here. It says, uh, sorry, impressive indications suggest that Sunday observance was introduced at this time in conjunction with Easter Sunday as an attempt to clarify to the Roman authorities the Christian distinction from Judaism. It was a very gradual thing. It didn't happen overnight. As we mentioned before, there was a 5th century uh, historian who was saying that many of the churches were still keeping Sabbath at that time, right? So this wasn't an overnight thing. But to begin with, they began keeping the Sabbath and keeping Sunday. You ever heard of the weekend? That's where it comes from. The notion, you know, for years, many people would work five days a week that have Saturday and Sunday off, wouldn't they? We've got a lot of different sort of working schedules these days, but that's where we got the weekend from. People would keep the Sabbath because that was the command from the Bible, but they would keep Sunday as kind of a holiday. So Sabbath was a holy day, but Sunday was a holiday. Uh, another thing that was instituted by the church a little later was they said that Sabbath being a holy day, we want you to fast on Sabbath. But Sunday being a holiday, we're going to feast on Sunday. So you tell me, if you were fasting on Sabbath and feasting on Sunday, which one would you look forward to? It's not difficult, is it? It's not difficult to see which one of those two days would become more popular over time. So why Sunday? Well, let's read on. This is from a 4th century document. It says, The erosion of the purity of the apostolic church stood firm and pure. But when the second and third generation Christians came along, we see evidence of compromise and apostasy. And sometimes we'll see that in family, individual families. Sometimes we see it in churches. Where those who have passionately embraced Christ and his message are willing to sacrifice anything for the forwards, you know, for the furtherance of the gospel. And then sometimes their children or their grandchildren just have less zeal for that message. Not always, but sometimes that's the case. And as the third and fourth, second and third generation Christians come along, we can see evidence in history of compromise and apostasy within the Christian church. Dr. Killeen, uh, Killen, uh, the ancient church, he writes... He was a Presbyterian, by the way. He says, Between the days of the apostles and the conversion of Constantine, rites and ceremonies of which neither Paul nor Peter ever heard crept silently into use and then claimed the rank of divine institutions. As the church grew, as the church spread, they began to compromise on some of the truths of the Bible. And they argued, look, we could get bigger if we make a few compromises. We will be more successful. You know, if we sort of don't impose some of these rather unpopular and inconvenient biblical mandates. And so this is the way they sort of would argue. The first civil Sunday law was passed in March the 7th, 321 AD. Constantine had become emperor Constantine had claimed that he had become a Christian. He'd had a vision, he claimed, of a cross and that God had told him to conquer in the sign of the cross. He'd become Christian and in March 7th, 321 AD, he passed a law about what you could or couldn't do on Sunday. This is what the law 
uh, stated. It says, on the venerable day of the sun. Notice the reference there. They're, they're recognizing this is the day of the sun. That's, by the way, why we call it Sunday. You know why we call Monday, Monday? It's the moon day. That's right. I'm not sure about Tuesday. Uh, Wednesday is Woden's day. And that's from another pagan god. Ever seen the film Thor? That's Thor's day, if you didn't know. Then you've got, uh, I think it's Frigg's Day, which is Friday. Sat Saturday, by the way, is named after which body, do you think? Saturn, right? And then Sunday after the sun, right? So notice here, this is the law that Constantine passed. On the venerable day of the sun, let the magistrates and the people resting, uh, residing in the cities rest and let all the workshops be closed. So here is a law given about what you're allowed to do on Sunday, the first one given, 321 AD. Now that's the state, that's the Roman state, because Constantine had now become a Christian and he wanted to start to impose some of these things upon the state. In the year 325, a little later, 325, Sylvester, Bishop of Rome, changed the title of the first day, calling it the Lord's Day. You ever heard people call the Sunday the Lord's Day? I certainly certainly knew that living it up you know living in secular in England growing up in secular Indian I knew that if people referred to the Lord's day they were talking about Sunday but that only came after the year 325 AD prior to that we've already seen which day the Lord's day was in the bible that was the sabbath day but this is some of the history of how the change came about uh, this is the history of the councils of the church. This is the church, sorry, the Council of Laodicea, which took place in 364 AD. I want you to notice what the church now is saying to the believers. It says, Christians shall not Judaize, that means keep Sabbath, and be idle on Saturday, but shall work on that day. But the Lord's Day, which they've renamed Sunday, they shall especially honour and, as being Christians, shall, if possible, do no work on that day. If, however, they are found Judaizing, which means keeping the Sabbath, they shall be shut out from Christ. Now, I want you to understand what's going on here is the church is slowly moving from being a persecuted religion to becoming the state religion, to them becoming the dominant religion, to becoming the compulsory religion, to becoming intolerant of other religious practice. And this is what can happen when a church becomes too powerful. It begins to forget the humility with which Christ practiced his religion and taught his religion. And we begin to lord it over other people. And here now you have a situation in 364 after this uh, law that has been passed by Constantine, after they've recognised Sunday now as the Lord's Day, they're now saying if you keep the Sabbath you're shut out from Christ. Which seems a little bizarre because Jesus kept the Sabbath. Right? So this is how things got to be changing. And you can appreciate 364 AD is a long long time ago and centuries and centuries and centuries have passed since that time so that today the average man in the street the average woman in the street 
If you ask them which day is the Lord's Day, which is the day of Christian worship, they will automatically say Sunday. It's common knowledge, isn't it? But it's not biblical. And this is part and parcel of the history of how that change came about. In the book From Sabbath to Sunday, it talks about the fact that in spite of that church counselling, the Council of Laodicea, 364 AD, notice what it says, in spite of this, Christians were still observing the Sabbath in the 6th century. For Pope Gregory denounced as prophets of Antichrist those who maintained that work ought not to be done on the seventh day. So here in the 6th century, there were still people who were saying, no, the Bible and the Bible only, we're going to go with what the Bible says, we're going to keep the Ten Commandments, and they were keeping the Sabbath. But the Pope, who's the head of the Church of Rome, he's now saying, you're prophets of Antichrist if you say we shouldn't work on the Sabbath. You can see how this shift is taking place. In a book called The Christian Sabbath, it's a Catholic publication, it says the Catholic Church for over 1,000 years before the existence of a Protestant by virtue of her divine mission changed the day from Saturday to Sunday. In other words, they, the church, the medieval church claims that this was her act of change. Okay, so you're, we're, we're wanting to know where did Sunday come from. They're openly telling us where it came from. This, this isn't something I'm making up. This is in the history books. Okay, it tells us very clearly that that's the case. Nevertheless, God has always had people who kept the Sabbath throughout history. From the time of Adam and Eve, all the way through the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament, all the way through from the end of the first century, all the way through to this moment today, God has always had people who kept the seventh-day Sabbath. Just as the seventh-day cycle has continued from creation all the way through to today, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, as that has continued, there have always been people who have kept God's seventh-day Sabbath. And we might think of the Bible-believing Waldensian people who lived in northern Italy, they were being persecuted because they chose that they wanted to live according to the Bible. And the Church of Rome said, no, we want you to come under our, our, under our authority. Um, but they fled to the mountains and they had uh, a place to stay up there and they kept the Sabbath. And they shared that with others. And there were other groups through history as well. We come to the time of the Reformation 31st of October, 1517, we just actually passed the 500th anniversary last October of the Protestant Reformation. How many of you knew that already? Yeah, some of you do. 500 years since Martin Luther nailed a series of objections to the church door at Wittenberg in Germany. Martin Luther was, of course, a Roman Catholic priest. He was a doctor of the church. He taught in the church but he had some objections about the way in which Christianity was being practiced. And he posted those objections on the internet. No, he put them on the church door. It's probably as good as it got back then. And he posted them on the church door. And of course, Martin Luther is credited as being the spark that began the Protestant Reformation. There were other reformers before him and there's certainly many after him. 
But one of the things that Martin Luther stood for was the Bible and the Bible only as the rule of faith. And this is very important. Martin Luther was saying, hey, hang on, I'm reading the scriptures. And by the way, Martin Luther had access to the scriptures in Latin because that was now the official language of the church. And most people did not have access to the Bible. We need to understand that. There were laws passed that says lay people aren't allowed to read the Bible. You realise that? It was against the law for you to read the Bible. It's very hard for us to imagine that that's the case, but that was the case. But Martin Luther, as a doctor of the church, he had access to the Bible and he would read the Bible and he would say, hang on, we are not practising the Christian religion as revealed in the Bible. And so he began to protest. He didn't want to leave his church. He didn't want to destroy his church. He just wanted to reform his church. But nevertheless, he was excommunicated from his church. And one of the things he taught was the Bible and the Bible only as the rule of faith. Martin Luther was one of the main reformers. He really sparked the Protestant Reformation. Others came after him. John Calvin, uh, Ulrich Zwingli, uh, John Knox and others. But the, the church, the medieval church, decided to convene a council to address the challenges of Luther and Calvin and other reformers. And so they organised a council called the Council of Trent. And the Council of Trent was a church council to decide what to do about Luther's claims and whether the church should go with tradition or the Bible. And I want you to notice what uh, this council uh, determined. It says, like two sacred rivers flowing from paradise, the Bible and divine tradition contain the word of God. These, sorry, though these two divine streams are of equal sacredness, they say, still of the two, tradition is to us more safe and clear, or more clear and safe, which is fascinating. And then I want you to notice what uh, this historian says about the last convening of this council. This council lasted for over 17 years. You ever been to a business meeting? (laughs) This one lasted a long time. They would break for a little while, but 17 years the Council of Trent met. It says, finally, at the last opening on the 18th of January, 1562, all hesitation was set aside. The Archbishop of Reggio made a speech in which he openly declared that tradition stood above the scriptures. Notice why. The authority of the church could therefore not be bound by, to the authority of the scriptures because the church had changed the Sabbath into Sunday, not by a command of Christ, but by its own authority. In other words, at the Council of Trent, they were saying, it's tradition or the Bible, we're going to go with tradition because if we go back to the Bible, we're going to have to keep the Sabbath. And we're the ones who changed the Sabbath into Sunday. We're not going to go back on our own authority, so we're going to stick with tradition. And that was decided at the Council of Trent in 1562. The church openly admits that it changed God's law. I could read you reams of different quotations regarding that. What's interesting to me is what should we do? 
Should we stick with tradition or should we stick with the word of God? Jesus faced a similar situation in his day. He faced opposition from church leaders, from religious leaders of his day who had put tradition above the scriptures. Jesus said to them, why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? Jesus wants for us to keep the commandments. We we can't just make up man-made laws and say they are ahead of the word of God. Especially when we're talking about one of the Ten Commandments. There's only ten of them, right? There's only ten of them. They're a pretty succinct document and very plain, I think, in terms of what they're calling us to do. And God is saying, why do you transgress the commandment? Because of your tradition. He also said this, In vain they do worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And so we have a decision, I guess, to make, a, a, uh, a choice to make. Tradition or the Bible, what is going to be our guide? You know, when we look through the history of the Christian church, especially in those early decades and early centuries, there were many people who gave up their lives because they were unwilling to give up a Bible truth. They were unwilling to compromise on the Bible. So they would rather go to their deaths knowing that Jesus is the resurrection than to compromise with God and give in and just follow the teachings of men. What will we choose to do? Will we stick with tradition or will we go with the word of God, the Bible? Catholicism and fundamentalism by Carl Keating, he says, it was the Catholic Church that decided Sunday should be the day of worship for Christians in honour of the resurrection. What's interesting about that is that's not, of course, in the Bible. And there is something that honours the resurrection, and we're going to talk about that next weekend. So please don't miss next weekend, because we're going to talk about what the Bible sets out as a memorial to the resurrection. It's right there in the Bible, and it's not Sunday observance. But there is a memorial to the resurrection. Please come next week. We'll unpack that. The Catholic Encyclopedia says, The church, after changing the day of rest from the Jewish Sabbath, they call, or the seventh day of the week to the first, made the third commandment refer to Sunday as the day to be kept holy as the Lord day. In other words, the statement after statement after statement we can read from the church that tells us that they changed the day. If you wanted to become a Roman Catholic today, you would go through a course with the Roman Catholic Church and they would have a a, a catechism, a book of church teaching. And in the Converts Catechism it says, which is the Sabbath day? And it tells you, Saturday is the Sabbath day, very plain. Then it says, why do we observe Sunday instead of the Sabbath? Answer, because the Catholic Church transferred the solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. The question is, does the church have that right? We here, we're a group of people, we're believers. If we got together and we could decide in this room, let's start a new church and let's decide what we're going to believe. Never mind what's in the book, let's decide what our beliefs are just among ourselves. Can we do that? 
Can we decide to set aside one of the commandments of God and just make up another law? I mean, based on what authority? I don't think the church has the right to do this. This is another quote from uh, St. Catherine Church Sentinel in 1995. It says, Perhaps the boldest thing, the most revolutionary change the church ever did happened in the first century. Well, it was a little later than that. The holy day, the Sabbath, was changed from Saturday to Sunday, not from any directions noted in the scriptures, but from the church's sense of its own power. And I think the story is very plain. That's where the change came from. It's very interesting in the Bible. The Bible refers to a power that would arise during the Christian dispensation, a power that would arise, and it says that power shall intend to change times and laws. In other words, the Bible predicts that an attempt would be made to change God's times and laws. And certainly that attempt has been made. And I'm sure that the devil loves this, right? Because the devil wants to draw people away from obeying God. He himself has rebelled against God. But the devil always works in disguise. He works in the background. He's not obvious. He works in the background. But why would the devil want to attack the Sabbath? Number one, it's God's holy day. It's a memorial to God of creation. It's time spent with God. The devil does not want us to develop a relationship with God. He wants to separate us from God. It's one of God's commands. He doesn't want us to obey one of God's commands. He has been cast out of heaven for rebelling against God's commands. And it represents loyalty to God. The devil doesn't like the Sabbath. Once again, we read this before in our previous presentation. Here's the first angel's message. These messages that go to all the world just before Jesus returns. Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. God is calling us back to himself. Just before Jesus returns, he's calling us to keep his commandments. He's calling us to keep the Sabbath. God wants us to remember our creator. I think we read this earlier. It says, This people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. God has not, God has always had a hard time getting his own people to believe him. You know, sometimes we think that God has a hard time getting non believers to believe in him. Well, that, that's a challenge in itself, I guess, but God's challenge has always been getting his own people to believe him. And uh, we can read in the Old Testament, in the book of Ezekiel, God's people had forsaken him. They turned their back on him quite literally. Notice what it says here. Uh, Ezekiel was taken in vision by God to the temple at Jerusalem to see what was happening there. And he said to me, Have you seen this, O son of man? Turn again. You will see greater abominations than these. So he brought me to the inner court of the Lord's house. And there at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about... 25 men with their backs toward the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east and they were and they were worshiping the sun towards the east here you have God's people in the old testament 
at the temple of God with their backs to the temple of the Lord but worshipping the sun. Could that happen again? Hasn't that happened to the Christian church? That we're turning our back on one of the commandments of one of the commandments of God and we're worshipping pagan idols. In this, what's interesting about Ezekiel is this was at a time when God's people then got carried away and were captives in Babylon. The Bible describes in the book of Revelation that God's people are in Babylon and God calls them out. They're captives in Babylon because they've forsaken the worship of the Lord and are going after pagan idols. In Matthew 7.21, Jesus said these words to his followers. He said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. What is your determination tonight? What do you want to do? Do you want to follow the teachings of men or do you want to follow the commands of the Lord? Once again, Revelation 14.12 Remember, Jesus comes back in Revelation 14, 14. This is two verses before Jesus appears. And it says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Is that what you want to do? Is that what you want to be? Do you want to be among that group of people who says, Yes, Lord, I want to keep your commands. I want to have the faith of Jesus. God is calling together a people who will keep all of his commandments, not just some of the commandments some of the time, but all of the commandments all of the time. God is calling such a people together. Will we respond and say, yes, Lord, we want to be that group of people?